The greatest commission that Christ ever gave was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. Time is short. The gospel alone has light for a world of darkness. The gospel alone has a remedy for the world's sickness. The gospel alone has life for the world's death. This gospel could transform individuals and those individuals could transform society. We have come in this generation and stopped short. But Christ said, go. All right, church, how we doing, everybody? We good? We good? Man, it's so good to see you today. I want to take a minute. I want to welcome everybody who's watching right now online, wherever you're watching. And, of course, everybody over at that South Side, South Campus. South Campus, we love you. We love you here. We love you there. We love you everywhere. And the best way we can show you that is by clapping for you. So come on, everybody. Put your hands together for everybody who's watching right now via the interwebs and at our South Campus. We're just uh, pumped at all that God's doing uh, here at our church, and I want to take a minute. I want to encourage you to come check out one of our dessert tours. I know you've got a, a few announcements. You've probably heard a little bit about that up to this point, but we are we are getting ready to embark on the greatest moment of our church thus far. In that we are we're getting ready to be homeowners. Okay, so we've been renters, we've been uh, we've been wanderers, we've been renters, and now we're ready to be owners. And so it feels really good. And we would love for you to come see the space, walk the space, uh, pray over the space, writing scriptures on the stage because it's all demoed right now. And it's a great time just to dedicate this moment that we are about to move in uh, as a church to the Lord. And so, and we've got some amazing desserts. I mean, like killer desserts, like melt-in-your-mouth desserts, okay? So come check it out. Uh, you'll be glad that you did. You can sign up. We have, we've we have one that we did Wednesday. We're doing one tonight. So it's sold out. There's, it's free, so there's no selling out. It's uh, uh, the registration is full. Um, and then we've got a couple more. We got five more that we love to have you be a part of. And uh, it's just an exciting time for our church. And thank you for uh, thank you for praying already because we have sensed the favor of God going before us, and so it's just really, really exciting. I believe God is getting ready to do something amazing in our community. I really believe it. I believe he is doing something amazing, and I believe he is setting us up, not just us, but churches all across Kansas City. God wants to pour out his spirit because he loves people, and he's bringing them home, and if you believe that, say, I do. All right, well... um, we are in a series we started last week called Launch, and we want to launch your life, all right? Turn to someone and say, launch yourself. We want to launch your life, and what we're talking about is the best way to do that is through the gospel. The best way to do that is through the gospel, and, and in Christianity, that's a very simple understanding, but... But the implications of the gospel are vast, and they are immense, and they are completely transformational. And so that's what we're unpacking in this series. And really, this series started with our, the first message of 30 for 30, okay? So we're in a 30 for 30 campaign. We're encouraging everybody to spend 30 minutes with God for 30 days. For the 30 days of August, there's 31, I know, don't tell me afterwards. I know there's 31, but 30 just sounds good. It's just easy. It just rolls off the tongue better than 31 for 31. Okay, so it's 30 for 30, and plus ESPN kind of branded 30 for 30, so we stole it. Okay, so anyways, so we're, we're doing this thing where we're saying, hey, spend an extra 30 minutes with God every day 
uh, for 30 days. And I'm just telling you, the difference will be amazing. And so we started this whole move in August with this message from Joshua. We talked about how when we're getting ready to move forward in God and, and all that God has for us, which we are doing collectively as a church, you have to get your stuff together. And so we talked about this, and we talked about how Joshua was getting ready to take the reins from Moses, all right? And Moses was, he was the goat of the Old Testament, all right? He was the greatest of all time. And no one likes following the goat because it's hard, right? It's difficult because they're the goat. It'd be like in basketball, it'd be like trying to live up to, you know, Michael Jordan. Or in baseball, it'd be like, you know, Babe Ruth. Uh, you know, football, it'd be like, uh, I don't know, Tom Brady. You know, something like that. It'd be like, that's a, it's Tom Brady. I mean, it's undeniable. Okay. Um, so Joshua, Joshua has to live up. To Moses, who's the goat, okay? And, and, and God comes to Joshua and says, hey, listen, I'm going to do some amazing things in your life, but I need you to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so we talked about obedience and the power of obedience and how blessing follows obedience. And when we live lives, we're lining up with God's nature and what he wants to do and his purpose. And it's powerful and it's awesome. And that was inspirational. And yet it's also really, like, overwhelming, too, because you're like, man, how do I obey? Like, how, God, God has a great standard. How do I live up to this thing? Because I, I have a desire to do what's right. Um, I have a calling to do what's right. But I have a body that keeps wanting to do what's wrong. And so we talked about that last week. We talked about how the gospel meets us there. It's the, it's the same frustration that Kanye West had at the end of a song, right? Follow God. It's like, ah, what do I do with this? And that's the frustration that the Apostle Paul expresses in Romans chapter 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He said, I want to do what's right and I keep doing what's wrong. Who's going to rescue me? And the answer is the gospel. It's, it's Romans chapter 7 verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what we talked about last week. That the gospel is this. We all need saving. We're all messed up. We all have issues. But praise God, Jesus saves. That's the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, thanks be to God who delivers me. And he gets excited about it. And three of you are excited about that in here today. All right. All right. So today we're going to talk about where all of this leads. So the gospel changes us. It don't, it, God doesn't just expect us to live different, but he gives us the power to live different. And not only does he give us the power to live different, but today what I want to talk about is how the gospel gives us the power to love different. To love different. Okay, so he's like, all right, love different. Different than what? Well, different than the world, right? Because the world has a way of loving, and it's basically this. If you do this, then I'll do that. It's very reciprocal, right? If you do nice things to me, I'll be nice to you, and maybe. I mean, really. And if you do bad things to me, then I'm definitely not going to do nice things to you, and I'm probably going to do some bad things to you. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, this is actually the Old Testament way. Actually, the Old Testament way, right? Uh, Exodus chapter 21 says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Okay, so it's like, you hurt me, 
I'm going to hurt you. This is straight up mafia style, right? Like, you know, it's like, I've been hearing some things. You offended my nephew, Joey. It's time to break your legs. You know, it's like, it's like you do this, and man, I'm going to take you out. This is the way, this is the way the world works. It's like, I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to get back at you. But can we be honest for a minute? The world's way doesn't work, does it? Because when you hold a grudge, really what ends up happening is the grudge ends up, ends up holding you, doesn't it? In fact, just this week, there was a, an article came out uh, about Quentin Tarantino, famous director. I don't know if you guys saw this at all. Famous director, uh, super successful. Looked at as is probably one of the best directors of our generation. He's a writer, actor, and when he was when he was younger, his mom was trying to get him to do his schoolwork, and and so she she confronts him. And she's like, "Hey, listen, you need to stop that. And you need to be doing this and this little." this little writing thing of yours that you're doing, you need to stop it right now. And so he, in his head, says this, and he was just actually on a podcast this week, this came out, and, and he, says, he says this, and when she said that to me in that sarcastic way, I was in my head and I go, okay, lady, when I become a successful writer, you will never see one penny from my success. There will be no house for you, there's no vacation for you, no Elvis Cadillac for mommy. You get nothing because you said that. And guess what? He's held true to that. He's made over $100 million easily, and he's not sharing anything with his mom. And you know, that, that's the way of the world, though, isn't it? I mean, that's really, I mean, that's really kind of like an extreme version of it. But that's, that's where it comes from. It comes from this, you've hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to make you pay. And, and it, there's no life there. And let me just pause for a moment before we jump into this and, like, bring it home to where you are. Because maybe some of you, like, you're Quentin Tarantino, but in a different way. Maybe there's something that you've got in your life. Someone wounded you. Someone hurt you. Someone offended you. Someone did the unthinkable to you. And you're holding a grudge, but that grudge is really holding you. And it's keeping you from the life that God has for you. Let me tell you this. Jesus has a better way. He doesn't just give us the demand to live different or the power to live different, but he also gives us the power to love different. And you can see it. In Matthew chapter 5, when he, come, when he comes, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, he basically establishes this new way that he is going to do things. Matthew chapter 5 says this, You've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You heard that from the Old Testament. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So I just thought it'd be cool at both occasions. Just slap the person next to you. We'll just see how this goes. Just kidding. Um, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. He says, you have heard that it was said in verse 43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. What? 
can, I mean, you've heard this before, but can we think about how, like, completely different that is? Pray for those who persecute you? The only thing I'm praying for them is, Lord, kill them right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray. Lord, I pray for that person who's persecuting me. me. I pray for that enemy, Lord. I pray that you would just boils all over their body, Lord. Boils. That's the only prayer. Like, Jesus says, no, you pray, and it's a good prayer. You're supposed to love them. Who could do this? How can we ever do this? How can you ever love that person who's hurt you, who's wounded you? How could you ever do that? This is the power of the gospel. Why? What is the gospel? We're saved. We all need saving. And Jesus saves us. How? By grace. See, grace is the single greatest force in the universe. And when that grace works its way into our heart and we let it seep down deep into our spirit, we really understand that we don't deserve any of this and he gives it to us graciously and we let that change us and transform us, well, then we can, we can give that to others and we can be that conduit of grace that God wants us to be. And what's amazing is you see the New Testament, New Testament, they do this. Like the early church, they do this. They live this out. They literally become this like grace community, like this conduit of grace, like they're giving grace. And these people didn't start that way. Like Peter is like the ultimate likes to fight guy, okay? Like I know likes to fight guy because I'm from Detroit and we are all likes to fight guys. That's just it. Like everybody's like, oh, you, you got a problem? Like, let's go. Like that's literally the whole city of Detroit all the time. Peter's, Peter is likes to fight guy. In fact, when they come to arrest Jesus, what does he do? He's like, takes out the sword and he's like, let's go. Like that's literally what he does. He starts swinging. But watch what Peter says. Once the gospel really takes root in his heart, he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray above all. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So then you got, you got Peter and then you got the apostle John and Jesus, called, Jesus nicknamed him a son of thunder. It's because he was such a hothead. He was like, he was a revolutionary. He's like, let's go. Let's take over these Romans. And look what he says. 1 John verse 4, dear friends, let us love one another. I mean, these guys sound like hippies from the 70s. You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's just love each other, man. How do you get these guys who are like ready to fight now to saying, no, let's just hug? Because they understand something. They understand the gospel. And it's this. Real revolution doesn't happen by force. It happens by grace. The greatest revolution. The most important revolution. It's the revolution of the soul, right? Not a revolution of government. Not a revolution of politics. That's not the greatest revolution. The greatest revolution is a revolution of the soul. And it doesn't happen by force. It happens by grace. And it is the result of the gospel, and it leads to love. See, when you get that soul revolution happen, that's where it's going to take you. That's where it's going to go. And, and Jesus, he drives this home in one of the most beautiful moments 
uh, that he has with the disciples, and it's John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, I want to just look at that with you, all right? John chapter 13, I want to comb through this, and we want to see, you know, what, what launch does for us loving our, our brothers and sisters and our neighbors, okay? Uh, so the context of this is, is that it's the Last Supper. Jesus is about to go to the cross. This is the last time he's going to be hanging with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And he gets them together, and he wants to spend some time with them. And Luke tells us, if you go to Luke's version of this, that they start fighting over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All right? And so Jesus has been, like, establishing this new way of, like, you know, God coming to earth and humbling himself and all of this. And now they're fighting over who's the greatest. And so Jesus, the Bible says, goes over to the, to the room, the edge of the room, and just starts hitting his head against the wall, saying, why? <laughs> just kidding. It's not I'm making sure you're paying attention. Uh, he doesn't do that, but that's probably how he felt, right? He's like, are you kidding me? They still don't understand this? They're arguing over is the greatest, and so Jesus gives them the greatest illustrated sermon probably of all time. John chapter 13. If you're ready to jump in, see, I am. Let's do this. All right. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying, him, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, now... You've heard the story. What's happening here? What's happening here? Because it's very foreign for us. You probably haven't washed many people's feet recently. Unless like a son or daughter and it's baby. Like once past the baby stage, you know, toddler stage, it's kind of like you wash your own feet. You know what I'm saying? Like my kids are 8 and 10 and I don't wash their feet. They wash their own feet. I don't touch feet. I don't like feet. Feet are nasty. Can I get an Amen. They're just nasty. But feet today aren't even close to as nasty as they were back then. They open-toed sandals, walking around in the dirt, walking around where animals walked, and you know. And that's all up in their, that's all up in their feet. That's all up in their feet. And so when they'd come, and when they come to dinner and they didn't like sit at tables, they laid down at tables. And so you're sitting next to someone and your feet are in someone else's face. But guess what? So anytime someone would come over, like the host wouldn't wash the feet. The servant would wash the feet. But nobody wanted to be the servant. Nobody was willing to serve. In fact, they're too busy arguing over who's the greatest. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to show you where the gospel leads. And so he gets down and he starts washing their feet. Now he comes to Simon Peter, verse six. He says, he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? He's like, no, not me, Lord. I, I should be doing it. He's like, no, I, you not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He says, no, Peter, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Peter said, no, then, then wash everything, Lord. But, 
not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus is like, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Jesus is like, will you stop? (laughs) Just listen. (laughs) Will you listen? And then he breaks it down. Look at this, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's the command. Here's the thing. You're going to be blessed if you do it. Then if you skip down in your Bibles, John chapter 13, verse 34, He brings it home and he gives him the theme of this. And he says, a new command I give you. They already had so many commands. And he says, I'm going to give you a new one. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by everyone, you will know, by by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Just for a second, just sit in that verse for a moment. Can we put that back up on the screen? By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you make amazing social media posts that just really zing it to the other side. No. Well, by, the, by, by this, they will know if you, if you really, if you're just angry and strong and opinionated. No. If you never relent, no, if you love one another, I'm just saying, this is who this whole thing's about, right? Do we understand that? Like, it's Jesus. This is Christianity. I just want to just leave that there because, like, he's the guy who this whole thing's based on, and he says, everyone's going to know that you're mine if you love each other. I think we should pay attention to that. I think that's pretty important. I think that's pretty significant. But he does more than tell them. If you look at this passage, in this passage, he's doing three things. He's not just telling them. He's actually giving them a formula to carry this out. And it's three things that he's doing. He's he's humbling himself, he's serving, and he's forgiving them. And I want to take just a quick look at that, apply this to our lives and learn and, and, and be transformed by the gospel so that we can live and love different, all right? So three, three thoughts. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. We humble ourselves, we serve others, and we forgive as we have been forgiven. That's how we love. That's how we do this thing different than the world. And that's really how we bring the change that Jesus came to bring, all right? So we're going to do this. We're going to launch forward with love. Before we do, I want you to just ask someone next to you. Say, hey, are you ready to launch? Just find someone next to you. Say, hey, you ready to launch? Both locations. Come on, just take a minute right now. Say, are you ready to launch? And then turn to the other person that you, just, that you didn't just ask and say, I'm ready to launch. Come on, tell someone next to you, I'm ready to launch. All right, let me tell you this. This is how we do it. First, we humble ourselves. Jesus humbled himself by washing the disciples' feet. Now, the significance of this is not lost in the disciples, as we saw with Peter, right? Because they realize 
that he starts doing what they should have been doing and they feel bad. Have you ever been in that moment? Where like the boss comes in and like the employees are like, no, you didn't, no, this is my job. No, this is, I thought you were doing this. And the boss comes in, I'll just take care of this. It's kind of like, oh man, have you ever been in that moment? It's like, ah, I should have been doing this. I should have been doing this. This is not just a boss. This is not just a leader or a teacher. He says, now that I, your Lord, have done this. This is the creator of the world washing feet. Even if they didn't grasp that he was the creator, they did grasp that he was perfect because they would, they would die to that reality. They would die for that reality. They died because he was perfect. Can you imagine walking with someone who never made a mistake, never messed up, and never, I mean, you never had anything on them. Like, they were just like, I mean, it was just always perfect. That's Jesus this is the Lord and Savior, and he's humbling himself. You've got perfection humbling himself for imperfection. You've got the creator humbling himself for creation. You've got God humbling himself for man. And Jesus says, I've set you an example. And the example is humility. This is the life of a Christian that launches in love. You live with humility. Now, humility, you, there's a lot of ways you can define it, but here's, here's a way. It's making yourself low and lifting others up. I mean, I really believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's literally getting low. He's becoming the lowest person in the room so that he can lift the others up. Can I just say that humility is the path forward for every relationship? Let me just say, if you got some issues at home, Humility is your path forward. Pride will keep you separated. Humility will bring you together. Humility is the path forward. Well, how do we make ourselves humble? How do we become humble? There's two ways that I think Jesus defines this and lives this out. The first is humility is meeting people where they are. Jesus does this, right? Jesus is so brilliant at meeting people where they are. He meets Peter at the fishing boats. He meets Matthew at the tax collector's booth. He meets the Samaritan woman at the well when she's running from her issues. He meets people where they are. Can I just tell you, if you're going to be humble, you've got to meet people where they are and go on the journey from that point. And let me just say, I think this is really important for experienced Christians Newer Christians don't have as much of a problem with this because they're all new. But experienced Christians, we start being like, mm, I don't know, that person can't really add value to me. Mm, I don't know, that person can't really add value to me. I don't want that person in my life group because I want someone who's a little bit further along. Uh-oh. I don't think Jesus was like that. Because guess what? All of, <laughs> you got to think about this. Son of God, how many know everybody's an idiot? <laughs> Can you imagine? You think you're frustrated with people? <laughs> Can you imagine being perfect? So you got to be willing to go on a journey with someone. If you wait for the perfect life group, you're never going to find it. And then once you find it, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> it's just true. Because we're all, we're all in journeys. That's why we got to humble ourselves and be like, 
my issue, I've got issues too. My issues might be different, but we all have issues. So we all need to go on a journey together. We all need to be gracious and humble and willing to meet people where they are and just, and just be Jesus to them right there. Second thing is that humility is being willing to admit when you're wrong. Humility is being willing to admit when you're wrong. Now, Jesus was never wrong, so he's not admitting that he's wrong here. But that's how we flesh this out. We have to be willing to admit when we're wrong. Now, let's be honest. Admitting that we're wrong isn't very fun. It's not very fun. And the other thing about, that's hard about you know, admitting what, that when we're wrong is that you're not wrong very often. Your spouse is wrong a lot. But you're not. You're, yeah, so you're like, now you're preaching. We think we're right most of the time. We're really, we're pretty sure of it. But humility says, you know what? I might be wrong. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a time or two before. I could be wrong in this instance. Let me, let me pause on this. Let me think for a second. Let me pray on this. Let me go to godly counsel on this. Let me get into the word on this. Let me see. I could be wrong. I don't want to be strong about something that I might be wrong about. Can you imagine if we had a church that lived like this? Can we just be honest for a moment? Society needs this bad. Really, really bad. I could be wrong here. I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure we've got a lot of people being sure of things that there's no way that they are sure of. What if the church led the way in saying, you know what? I'm going to be humble, and I'm, I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. I'm going to at least be open to the fact that I might be wrong for a second. Because as long as we keep on insisting on being right, we will not love like Jesus. We won't humble ourselves and we won't draw people in, and we will keep acting like the world. We've got to be different, and we can be. Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to live different, and he wants us to love different, and it looks like humility. Second thing is we serve others. So we humble ourselves, and then we serve others. So we humble ourselves. That's what Jesus is doing, right? What's he doing? He's washing feet. It's nasty. It's gross. But what's he doing? He's meeting a need. That's what he's doing. It's the need that needs to be met. How many know dinner is going to be just a whole, like, and they would eat for hours. How many know it's just a nasty experience? You got 12, 13, I don't know, however many people were there. It was just the disciples all gathered around with nasty feet in a small room. Jesus is meeting a need. He's blessing everybody by doing this, and he spent his entire ministry doing this. He was constantly looking for needs and meeting needs wherever he went. He's like, how can I add value? How can I add value? How can I add value? How can I serve? How can I bless? How can I help? Someone needs healing? Okay, I got it. Someone needs food? Okay, I got it. Someone needs to be raised from the dead? Okay, I got it. I'm meeting needs. I'm adding value. This is, this is how we love different. This is how we launch. This is how the gospel changes us. When we start saying, how can I help? Powerful words in any relationship 
That's just a little bit of relational advice. How can I help? How can I add value? Asking it and really meaning it. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says in Galatians 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Look at how he combines all of it right there. Serve one another humbly in love. He just kind of, that's the essence of this whole moment, right? He says, serve one another humbly. Find needs and meet them. It's not complicated. It's simple. And this will change your relationships. This will change your marriage. What if we stopped yelling at each other and started serving each other? What if we started meeting people's needs? What if you stopped and you called someone and encouraged them? Said, hey, how you doing? I was just thinking about you. Just want to reach out. Anything I can help you with? What if, what if you went on a love your neighbor outreach and actually served and blessed? You know what would happen? We would make a difference. We would shine the light for Christ and you would feel a lot better about your life. And certainly a lot better than scrolling and making yourself more angry. I'm just saying. All right? So we love, we humble ourselves, we serve, and then we forgive as we have been forgiven. We forgive as we have been forgiven. This is where it wraps all up. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's literally, he's literally taking communion, the first communion. He's breaking bread, right? And as his the Apostle Paul breaks down what was happening, you know, as, as, his, as his bread, as the bread was broken so his body would be broken for us, as, as the wine was poured out so his, his blood would be spilled out for us, and ultimately all that the cross would accomplish is the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is that we all need saving and that Jesus saves and that he does that through the cross. And, and so in this moment, He's extending forgiveness to Peter, right? He's washing Peter's feet. We know Peter, he's like missing it still. John, he's a hothead, but he's washing his feet. You know who else is at this dinner? You know who else he, who, you know who else's feet he's washing? Judas. Who had already betrayed him and who was going to betray him. And he's extending forgiveness. I believe, I believe he's extending forgiveness even in a moment to Judas saying, hey, would you, would you turn away? I think, I think he was offering it to the very end. Would you turn away from this path that you're on? He's washing his feet, extending forgiveness. This is, this is what God wants us to let seep into our spirit. It's not getting stuck in our hurt and in our bitterness. And I'm not, dis I'm not diminishing it. I'm not diminishing it. But it's not letting that define us. It's letting something far greater than what, something, than what someone here has said to us define us. It's letting the Son of God and what he did for us define us. 
And that's what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have, uh, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Again, the church being so committed to this, that's what changed the world. That's why Christianity exploded. It was altogether so different. And we have to ask ourselves, have we gotten away from this? Have we let our allegiances be to things that are so far less than this? And if so, let's get back. Let's get back. Because when we do, we punch the devil in the face. Let me show you Romans. I'm sorry. That's the best way I can say it. All right. Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. I'm going to just want to read this. It's powerful. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. You just serve your guts out. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do you see the theme here of Christianity? Then he says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written in his mind to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he wraps it up with one of my favorite verse. In the whole Bible, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. That's how we love different. It's altogether different. And we push back the darkness in this world. Not by our brilliance and not by our savvy post, but how we love each other. God, help us with this. It is time. It is time for the church to rise up. And as we rise up, it's going to be because of this. It's not because of how smart we are, how creative we are. It's going to be because of how, how great we love. So may God help us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the for the goodness of God, we thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And we pray that this love and this grace would just saturate our hearts. It would change us and transform us from the inside out. God, we need your help. We need your help. And we just ask you, Lord, please help us. Make us the people. Make us the church that you want us to be. Help us to let this soak and seep down into our spirits that we be the people of God, the church of God, the church that changes the world for your glory. And we thank you for it. With every head bowed and every head closed, I want to take a quick moment. I want to ask you at both locations, you're online, you're watching this. 
you're hearing all of this and you're saying, you know, man, that sounds so awesome. It sounds so amazing. It sounds so altogether different. It is, and it can be yours if you'll, if you'll trust God, if you'll follow God. And that's a simple decision, and it looks like you just saying yes to who God is and letting him into your heart and saying, Lord, I want what you have for me, and, and I'm willing to follow you. It's not perfection. It's just moving in his direction, but it starts with the decision. It says it's saying yes to Jesus. You're here today, North Campus, South Campus. You're watching online, and you're saying, this is speaking right to me, and I need to make a decision to follow Christ. I promise you this. God will change your life if you do. He will change your life, not because you try to be a better person, but because the gospel that you grab a hold of by faith will change you from the inside out. It's a faith thing. It's a grace thing. And God will change you. It's available. He's here. He wants to move in your life. And you're saying, Scott, this is speaking to me. I want to make a decision for the first time or for the first time in a long time. I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want him to make him Lord of my life. North Campus, South Campus, you watch online. I just want you to interact. You're saying, this is speaking right to me. Would you lift your hand and saying, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Would you just lift your hand all across this place? Hands going up at the North Campus. Hands going up at South Campus. Online, you can interact with the chat. We'd love to pray with you. We want to believe God is something else. God's speaking to you. Don't let, it, don't let this moment pass. Say, God, I want all that you have for me. Speaking to you, just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for every person who's raising their hands. God, I pray that this moment would be a moment of divine transformation from the inside out, that you would do what only you can. Lord, let salvation rise up and let it change people's lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you stand with me. Let's take a moment. Let's just respond as we always do and dedicate our hearts to the Lord. Say, God, we want to be who you want us to be. If you made a decision to follow Christ, most important time for you just to worship and pray. For the rest of us, let's dedicate our lives. Would you lift your hands at both locations, online, watching? Let's just say, God, we want to be the people you want us to be. We want to be the church you want us to be. We want to make the difference in this world that you've called us to make. Help us in Jesus' name. Let's worship.